Starting a new sermon series, as you can tell, it's going to take us right up to Advent in, uh, in December. So the next 10 uh, services, we're going to be looking at an old word that I hope we can get a few more new meetings to, the gospel. And uh, sometimes we think we know all about it, but I, what I've discovered that the gospel is far broader than most people understand. So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next while. And uh, we also have our... Um, Women's ministry and several of our life groups are going to be using this as a foundation for their studies each week. And there's questions that we have available if you want to go deeper and uh, to look more into these messages each week. When I was growing up, my dad was the ultimate father joke, dad joke kind of guy. Uh, he liked to, to he liked to tell jokes and stories, and I don't know when I was just a wee lad, uh, we had these good news, bad news jokes. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they they go something like this: in a prison camp, the uh, commander comes out and tells all of the 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 inmates, "Today, we are going to change our underclothes." George, you change with Frank. Sam, you change with Bill. Or in a church, good news is your women's softball team finally won a game. The bad news is they beat your men's softball team. (laughs) Or the doctor comes and says, good news, Uh, the tests reveal (laughs) actually that you only have 24 hours to live. The bad news is I forgot to tell you yesterday. Everyone likes good news more than bad news. I mean, bad news is such a downer, it can, it can really uh, in, impact your, your day. But good news, it just puts an extra kick in your step. How did you feel if you were said, uh, someone came to you and said, the medical test came back and you are all clear? I mean, the, like the stress just sort of melts away. All the stuff you're worried about, being anxious over, it's like, now you can breathe. Or if they came and said, it's a healthy baby boy or baby girl. And it's like, okay. You can, you, can, you can relax now. Or uh, we've approved your application to our university and we'd like to offer you a full scholarship. Woohoo! It's like, uh, you want to hear that? Or your car repair will only cost $25. It's like, praise the Lord. Or you're today's lucky winner. All of your groceries are free. Uh, what about the Revenue Canada apologizes for the mistake? Here's your $40,000 refund. This series of messages is all about the good news, and uh, there's so many different parts of the gospel to impact every area of your life. I'm going to show you this next slide. Uh, There's 10 parts of this, and I'm going to go ahead. There we go. So we're going to be talking about a lot of different parts of the gospel, the story, the sacrifice, salvation, surrender, sufficiency, sanctification, solace, spirit, security, and safe. Uh, you may not understand what all of those mean, but I can tell you that each one of those things are going to impact your life, if not your very soul, as we go through this series. So let's just look at the word gospel uh, as, as a word. In the old, it's an old English word meaning good news or glad tidings. Uh, go to the next slide. And uh, it comes from a Greek word, euangelion. Can you all say that? Euangelion kind of fun to say Greek. You just learned a new language today. Uh, when we translate that into English, it comes out as evangelism. 
Uh, and the U means good, and angelion means message. It's a good message or glad tidings. Look at that word angelion. What word do you see in there? Yeah, angels are messengers of God. That's where we get that Greek word. They're just simply messengers to take news to the people God wants to speak with. If it's an adjective, gospel could be a gospel choir or gospel music or telling the gospel truth. But we look at it more as a noun uh, when we use it as a phrase to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. It kind of means to evangelize or it's... um, Another, word, uh, another use of the word gospel is to describe the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the four gospels because they're talking about the life and teachings of Jesus Christ contained in those gospels, his word-for-word teachings. But it wasn't uh, the first use of gospel in the New Testament. The, the Roman army actually used the word gospel beforehand. It just means good news. And so oftentimes when they were having battles against uh, foreign enemies, they would be waiting to hear the gospel. Do you have the gospel for us? Is there good news? Did we win the battle? So in a very real sense, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, that Jesus has conquered the great enemies of death and sin, and we can be freed from the slavery in the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of God. There's good news right around uh, in every aspect. So when I grew up, the word gospel, you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? That's all I thought the gospel was. The gospel was four things. It was uh, that God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so God had to provide a way to forgive us of our sin, uh, to make us right with with him so that we could live with him for eternally. So he provided Jesus Christ as a sacrifice on the cross. And his resurrection from the dead gave uh, the opportunity for everyone to have a new life. And if you believe in him or receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Four points of the gospel. It's kind of the gospel in a nutshell. Kind of like an extension of John 3.16. It's another verse that kind of encapsulates what the gospel is all about. But these uh, four spiritual laws, uh, when you expand them, it's it's a story, a narrative that runs throughout the entire Bible. From the creation story in Genesis to the story of Christ's return in Revelation. It's 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 a whole gospel that's not quite finished we have parts of the gospel that we, we can teach and, and share with others, but, you know, we haven't experienced the end of the gospel. That's when Christ comes back. That's when the whole story is complete, when the, the big story and the narrative of the Bible comes to its final conclusion. We're kind of in the middle of the gospel right now. So when you think about history and plays and the movies what would you say are the greatest love stories of all time? Did you have your favorite? I mean, as a kid, sometimes it was like a, a princess and, and a prince, the Disney movies, the Cinderella type thing where everything kind of works out at the end. Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Anyone think that that's the greatest? Okay, couple of, couple of hand there. What about uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca? Is that a... I know some of these are dating myself, but Dr. Chivago, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Love Stories, Cleopatra and Mark Anthony, 
real historical figures. Or, I don't know, Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler and Gone with the Wind. These are old, old movies. How about Jane Austen's Darcy and Elizabeth and Pride and Prejudice? Anyone? Okay, there we go. I confess I have watched that a number of times in my lifetime. It's one of those husband things to encourage the wife. And, uh, but it seems everyone loves a good love story, and most of the best love uh, movies have a great love interest in them somehow. I think it's part of our nature to want people to win in the end, to be happy in the end, to, to, to be fulfilled in the end. Things come together and everything's okay. And when it doesn't come together, we call it a tragedy. Like with Romeo and Juliet, it ends with a tragedy. They don't actually get together in the end. Sorry if I ruined the story for you. Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, the hunchback falls in love with the woman, but in the end, it, does, it just can't work out. And it's a tragedy when things don't work out in the love story. The gospel is more than good news. It is really a love story. It describes how God has created us to be able to respond to him, to his great love. And in this story, we see relationships, we see rejection, we see villains and sacrifice and plot twists and victory and sorrow, all culminating in a glorious ending that is still coming. So God's love story began with his desire to be in relationship with his people. So we were designed... (laughs) We have... Just an affirmation of what's going on in our nursery. (laughs) We're designed for a relationship with God, created to know Him and respond and relate to God, to be loved by Him. And and actually, we're, we're a bit like Him. It says that God created us in His image with a capacity to love or to not love. We can choose to reject love. In our existence, really, it makes no sense apart from him because it was always intended to be vitally connected to him and communion with him. I believe that's why there's so many religions, because we were created as human beings to have a connection with our creator. And all throughout history, mankind has tried to make a connection with the creator. And there's so many different kinds of religions around the world, everyone trying to connect, to fill that void in their life that has a a spiritual component to it. And and they've tried all sorts of things, man-made religions. And all throughout the Bible, we hear many different religions and cultic activities, people trying to connect with God. Finally, he sent his son to say, look, I will just show you in person who I am, what I'm like, what I value. Then I will create a way for you to actually talk to me and know that you have a relationship with me. Knowing that God connects with every aspect of our human nature, how do you most naturally connect with God? Do you connect with God intellectually? Do you you just read the scriptures and it's like, you just got your fill. You you did some theological study. You went in to talk about different kinds of things uh, intellectually, or maybe you're connecting with God uh, emotionally. You're in the worship service, and, and there's some component of your worship, but also you're just you and God are like in sync, and you're communing with Him, you're experiencing Him in your life, or maybe, maybe um, through, through uh, prayer. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's an interactive kind of conversation. There's a lot of different ways, because God's presence touches every aspect of our, our mind and our soul and our life. 
Because of God's love, he chooses to reveal himself to us, to draw us to himself. And he doesn't just reveal himself through his Bible. He's trying to connect with us from the beginning of time through all that he's created. Romans 1.20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been understood and observed by what he has made, so that people are without excuse. He, he will reveal himself to us multiple different ways to try and connect with us, to invite us into his presence, to show us how much he cares about us through, through his nature, through his creation. I wonder, when, when was the first time you actually became aware of God? When did you realize that he cared about you, that you could have a relationship with him? There's a point in your life where you just understood well, I never thought about that. Or are, are you telling me the truth? A lot of this, we, we see these aha moments in our alpha ministry where people are confronted with the truth, they're presented with the gospel, with the, the facts of Jesus, love for them. They're going, really? He loves me? I mean, I can talk to him? The way the universe is structured, the way the body is designed, the way the world Natural systems work or art or music touches the soul from the smallest detail to the biggest picture that all testifies to a creator, God, who wants to interact with his creation, to reveal himself plainly if we would open our eyes. In God's story, his great love led him to create us in his image as well as part of the gospel that we were created in his image. We can choose what? course to take, to love him, respond to love, or reject his love. We can follow him or go our own way. And it's very similar with God's the same. God doesn't have to do things our way. He doesn't have to listen to us. He is independent from us. He created us. But we can understand that sometimes those people who reject him, God can also reject them. Even though he's great at loving people and loves everyone and wants everyone to be saved, when you turn your back on his love, there's consequences of that. You know, it's, it's part of his nature to, to bring things into the right perspective. If, if you respond to him and love him back and, and work with him and allow him to live through you, it's a, it's a wonderful life. But if you say, you know what, God, not interested. I don't care. I don't even believe, want to believe in you. I want you to have nothing to do with my life. Then the consequences of that choice began to appear in every part of your life. Now, God will extend his grace and his forgiveness for a time, but when time and time people reject his love, God will set his face against them, and the consequences of their rejection begin. I think about Noah and the ark where people begged and begged, you know, let us in, let us in, and God says, it's too late. I gave you how many years, decades? You watched Noah building the ark? You had a chance to listen to this message? You had a chance to repent, and, they, and now it's too late. There are several occasions in the scriptures where God's love had its limits. And that's the sad part. That it, that's what should create urgency with us when it comes time to sharing God's love with other people to realize that there is a limit, that time is running out for a lot of people, that you don't know uh, when their days are numbered, when, they, when they're up, and there is no more opportunity to respond to God's love. Acts 7.41, people rejected God. It says that they made a calf in those days. They, they made an idol, and they offered sacrifices to the idol, and 
rejoiced at the work of their own hands. They were turning their backs on God, and they had to face the penalty for rejecting God's love. But I, I know because you are all here is that you have responded to God's love. You responded to his invitation. Other people have yet to hear the good news. They don't know about the gospel. They don't know that there's an offer of salvation for them. In God's story, this love story, he pursues us. He, he chases after people. He sends a spirit in many different ways to try and bring them into his presence, to give them the truth, to send people who, who are co-workers or colleagues or fellow students or teammates to, to stand up for, for what they believe, to share the good news of Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is patient towards you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone should come to repentance. So he comes after us. And he's patient. He waits. He calls to us. He warns us. And even, even when God's people kept chasing after other gods and foreign idols, he would, he would still try to bring them back. He'd send prophets and warn them and say, you know what? This is a dangerous course you're on. There are consequences coming your way. How has God pursued you? Do you know, when was the first time that you really had someone share the good news with you and you realized that maybe it's not the first time, maybe it's the second time or third time? How many times did it take before you said yes to God? He's relentless because of his great love for us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, Jehovah has appeared to me from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Through loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. Moms, dads, have you ever had a kid in your home say, I hate you? I don't know. My wife was on a women's retreat one time, and my son, he was about four and he knew how to fast dial granny with our phone. He knew how to do the code. And I overheard him. He wanted something, and I said no, and he was mad at me, and he got upset. And I heard him in the other room, Granny, hello, can you come get me? Mom's gone, and she left me with a parent I don't like. It's funny, even when parents or kids reject you, they say they hate you, when danger comes, where do they run? Right back to mom and dad. They know that that's where the safety is, that's where the security is. Even when we're, we're you know, not wanting anyone to interfere, we don't want the advice. When you get into trouble, you come home and you ask for help. You know where the safe, you know who loves you. And that's kind of what God does. He allows us to run for a certain amount of time till we get into trouble. We can't fix it ourselves. We get into a situation and we have to turn to him eventually and say, God, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to get out of this situation. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. The fourth thing in God's story is a very pivotal point. It comes when God performed the ultimate act of love. He gave his own, his own son as a sacrifice for us. I was trying to think, and I didn't really want to ask you all this question, but I was trying to think, what, under what circumstance would, could there possibly be where I would be willing to sacrifice one of my kids on behalf of some other group of people or 
I just can't even imagine what that would look like. I mean, I would give up my life for my kids in an instant. But to actually let go of one of my kids because of great love for others, I don't know that that would be something that I could uh, even fathom. Philippians 2.5 says that, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God sent him to earth, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, I thought, well, okay, well, God sent his son to die for our sin, to pay the penalty that if we believe in him, we could have eternal life. And God knew he was going to raise his son from the dead. So, like, yeah, I mean, if you know he's going to come alive again, it's not so bad to, to maybe let him go to a cross. I was thinking, trying to rationalize this whole thing. But then I still thought, how could a parent be able to see their child suffer in that way on a cross? to be crucified, the worst possible capital punishment of the day, the most shameful, embarrassing, the most hurtful kind of way to perish and to have your son on a cross because you loved so many people so much. Just to allow him to endure that pain alone would wreck me. But God loved us so much. And Jesus said, it's like he volunteered, I'll go. I'll be the sacrifice. I will be the one to suffer and die on behalf of your creation, on behalf of your people that you've created. He's, he willingly became a, like a lamb, he says, to the slaughter. He, he stepped down from glory, from a position of power, from comfort, from uninterrupted fellowship with his father, from his home to live and die for us. His life was a sacrifice. Every day he was on earth, it was a sacrifice. He wasn't in heaven. He didn't have angels attending to him. He didn't have his glorified prayer. Every single day on earth, he had given up all that he had for us. Hebrews 9.26 says, But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's coming back. That's part of the gospel message. The good news is he didn't leave and he's gone. He's waiting for the right moment to come back. That's, that's how the story ends. Some people say that God's primary characteristic is his holiness, if there's one word to describe God, some people say holy. And I don't, I don't dispute that. But I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that either at some point because I, I think that that's his primary characteristic to be holy. But I think in terms of how he reacts to us, it's because of his love. God is primarily love. Yes, he is holy. And that defines how he works with us. But he's also connecting with us because of his great love. Because of his holiness, a sacrifice is required to pay the penalty of sin. Because he is holy, we have a standard to live up to and guidelines that lead to life everlasting. Because of his holiness, 
He must stand against sin. But he loves us so deeply. God's love story, that's his nature. He doesn't love primarily through discipline or righteousness or faithfulness or long-suffering or any other of his attributes, but through love, because God is love. We don't really even know what love is until we really experience love from God. It says, he loved us first. We can't truly love others unless God lives in us because he is love. He shows us how, what sacrificial love is like. So this is God's story. I'm just introducing kind of this narrative that goes from the whole, throughout the whole scripture. You go, I can't understand Chronicles or I can't understand Numbers and, and what's Ruth have to say and, and Psalms and all these books, but they're tied together with this narrative of God's great love for his people, never-ending, long-suffering love for his people to bring them into his presence in a relationship with him. So how about your story? In your story, God is there and showing his great love for every person, calling them to relationship with himself. Jesus is in your story, whether we accept it or not. He died on a cross for us, for our sin. We are the ones that put him on that cross. He's part of our story. And his spirit is a part of our story too because he's constantly working around us and in situations and relationships and job situations and, 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 and immigration and all these things. He's been there the whole time helping us, drawing us into his presence, guiding us, empowering us. And you are there, the object of God's love. You're precious in his sight. And some people still, knowing that, turn their back and walk away. They don't want someone else being in charge or, or telling them what to do. And they don't realize it's not like that. I don't get my orders from God every morning and go out and march along like a good soldier. God is there to help me be an, an amazing servant of his where I, I, I get to enjoy all the ama amazing blessings and, and be a part of his story and his kingdom and his activity to see lives being transformed. We have elders in our church. I was thinking about this uh, last night. You know, sometimes people see them as the bosses of the church. Let me just tell you that they're, they're the chief servants of the church. They're here to serve the people of MRAC. They pray for you. They care for you. They'll come and rescue you if that's what it takes. They are servants who care about you. How does your story read? Where are you in the love story right now with God? He's invited you into his presence. Do you, do you, do you look forward to seeing him every day? Hey God, I'm here. Let me, tell me what's on your heart. Show me something cool in your word. Help me to know how to pray for those around. Do you, do you spend time with the one who loves you more than anyone else regularly? Or is it kind of an afterthought? Never really getting around to it? Don't really have time to open up the word to see what God has to say? Love responds to love. And that's my hope for this whole sermon series, that we would be responding to God's love in ways that make a huge difference in our life personally as we are transformed by his presence, but also in all of our relationships around us, that people would see God's love through us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this 
time to reflect on who you are, what you do, and what your heart desire is for us, your people. And for those who are not your people yet, Father, we know you love them too. You want them to come to repentance, to salvation, to the knowledge of your truth, of your love for them. May we, Father, be inspired, realizing time is short. People don't have unlimited options to, to one day choose you. Anything can happen, God. May we be fervent in sharing your love with others. Guide us this week, Father, to not only remember about your love, but to love you enough to love those around us and share it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.